Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Yeah, you got it. You are live. Blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. Welcome in. Live here on a Tuesday night, September the 12th, 2017. I'm Dre. He's Jay. NFL week number one in the books, and there's a lot of different words to describe it. It was curious. It was fascinating. It was uh, provided more questions than answers, I believe. Um, And I'm probably saying that because I'm a little salty because uh, I finished under 500 and I'm not happy about it. Jason finished with the exact same record. We're both six, seven, and two for the week after starting the season with success on Thursday night, having the Chiefs over the Patriots. The rest of week one didn't go so well. There was some things that we saw got right. There was a lot of things that we didn't see and got wrong. Jason, what do you make of whatever that was in week one? I think that was the greatest week five of the preseason that I've ever seen. I think that the brand of football that was being played on Sunday was uninspired. It was, it was, it was painful to watch. I mean, there was a lot of just garbage games. Uh, Teams looked sloppy. I mean, you you had just a whole big, there there were no really compelling games. A lot of the games were just done. They were, they were over. They were, they were uncompetitive. I was really surprised with the brand of football that I was watching on uh, both Sunday and Monday. Uh, that, you know, it's interesting that we we agreed on a lot of our picks. We did manage to split as we as we as we usually do. We managed to split all the ones that we disagreed on. Um, you know, and of course, I'm going to feel good about the ones that I won, and you're going to feel great about the ones that you won against me. But but overall, the rest of the week just left me feeling kind of icky. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I felt kind of icky after, like, what? why did I pick some of these teams that wound up losing? Like, I felt like such a fool after some of them. Like, why, after all the trashing that I did about the Cincinnati Bengals, why the fuck would I pick the Cincinnati Bengals? I felt like such an idiot. Uh, The 49ers, I gave Kyle Shanahan the benefit of the doubt after years of making fun of him and his father and talking about the nepotism that brought him into the NFL. And he gets his first coaching job head coaching job and I go yeah I'm all in for Kyle Shanahan I'll pick him to win and ooh. Uh, yeah icky is a is a really really good word to describe it um, some of the numbers of interest uh, out of the way early so shut down corner guy Mr. Yahoo shut down corner blog uh, he could feel good about his 10 and 5 week against the spread or he could feel like well there's some things there that that still kind of make you scratch your head and, and go, I don't know. It smells a little, uh, smells a little funny. Here are three of shutdown corners wins against the spread. Okay. He had the jets covering against the Buffalo bills because the spread that he used was jets plus 11. Oh, now wow. the, 
the man puts out his his blog on Fridays, so the lines yeah. certainly can be much different on Friday than they could be on Saturday nights when we normally do our picks or sometimes Friday nights. But if he's doing a Friday morning column, that means he's probably going with basically where the spreads are on Thursday night, pretty much when you, when you, when you go to bed. So at that point in time, he had jets plus 11. So he gets to get away with that one, even though I locked in the jets at at plus, uh, was it eight? And, uh, wound up, wound up losing the bet because they managed to lose by nine. So that's one win he got. Another win he got was the Bears to cover over the Falcons. So there's your lock getting screwed because of some late uh, point spread movements. He got the Bears plus seven. So he gets to change. He gets, gets to claim that as a victory. And finally, to give both of us uh, the, the runs, on uh, Monday night, that last game, weird stuff happens on Monday nights. And the weird right. thing that happened was that the Chargers came flying back from getting outclassed by the Broncos, who managed a, uh, a, a three-point loss, which covered their spread of being three-point underdogs. But shutdown corner guy gets to claim a victory on that over both of us getting a push because he had three and a hook. Lucky him. <laughs> Yeah, we we basically yeah, sat on two pushes there uh, with Atlanta Chicago in. So two, yeah, two in one week. We were we were joking about smelling some pushy in the last show, and it wasn't the games that we thought were the ones that were going to end up being the pushes. Uh, that, that Bears Falcons right. one was that was just a that was one of the few nail biter games of the week that shouldn't have been. Um, and then the, the game last night, I went to bed. I, I was <laughs> right. I got done with New Orleans and Minnesota, and I got maybe a quarter into the second game, and I just had no interest at that point. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bed. I think it was I'm sure seven, very seven three or something when I went to bed. I just had I had no interest in that game. Very very many people had the exact same reaction and and bailed on that game. I'm sure. I usually do exactly what you did, which is stay with the second part of the doubleheader as long as I can before I finally conk out. What happened was last night, uh, that second game starts at 930, and all of a sudden I am just overcome with weariness and tiredness, and like I'm not going to make this at all. I, I didn't even stay for the kickoff. I bailed. And I was snoring by the time they kicked the ball off. But what I did, because I'm such a crazy football fan, was I taped it and watched it from beginning to end this morning before I went to work. So I no, I can tell you yeah. all about the Chargers-Broncos if you would like me to tell you all about that. No, I woke up and I saw that it was a push thanks to a fourth quarter comeback. And I was like, well, we'll take a push on that. I mean, we're staring a defeat squarely in the face. At that point, a push right. is better. Exactly. You, you will get away with that. It could have been a six, eight in one week and then six and seven. When you think about it, is only one game below 500. We, I, I don't know why it felt like we had a terrible week. We didn't have that bad of a week. We were one game under 500. So. Yeah. Six, seven and two. And I, I literally, I mean, I'm, I felt like I came out of that three and 13. Right. That's exactly how I felt. And it was, and it was, and it was, and it was the losses. They, they just, they felt bad. I mean, I, I, I hold myself into that Seattle pick off of a pick that I made in a pick'em thing that I was in. <laughs> and it, although I thought the Packers were going to win, I was like, oh crap. So you know, once again, you get cute, and 
you lose. Should have just should have just stuck with the Packers on that one because I had them to win. Uh, but you know when you predict the final score is going to be two spread and it's a three point spread. Well, you might as well roll with yourself, right? Have some integrity. You you have your integrity. That's at the end I of the do. day, you are a man of your word, and and you can hold that up high with your loss. But I'd feel much better if that had been a seven six and one or seven six and two than a six seven and two. Sure. Yeah, I understand and, that and, you. I, I'm, I was going to say, I'm assuming you watched that one. I watched uh, the the majority of that one, and I'm sad I did. That was a horrible <laughs> game. Yeah. I mean, you watched was... exactly what we predicted we would see. Zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, less than zero offensive line play by both zero. Teams. I did not oh see God. any blocking in that entire game. We saw exactly what we thought we'd see out of both teams' running games. I mean, I remember going on record in our uh, preview show saying that Eddie Lacy was going to be the bust free agent pick of this uh, off season. And yeah, five five carries for, for three yards or some ridiculously low number isn't going to get it done. And then on the Packers side, no running game because they have Ty Montgomery piling up a wasp, whopping 2.8 yards per attempt. <laughs> Just horrible football. That that was a seriously just god awful game. Can't come. I didn't come out of either one of those uh, teams, you know, viewpoint looking any better for me than what I was thinking. Seattle, we always say is going to win that division by default, and uh, I was not on the Packers to win the North, and there was nothing that they did in that game to make me change my mind. The high-flying uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers led Green Bay Packers produce exactly zero points in the first half. Yes. And first time the Packers had been shut out in the first half in a long time, like 13 years, I think, was the number that they put up. And we both had to be thinking at that point, oh, yeah, Seahawks are back, baby. Packers are about to go down. And, oh, ugh. I was getting the sense at halftime that – that basically that the Seahawks were going to hang around because I don't believe in the halftime adjustment capabilities of the Green Bay Packers. Mike McCarthy, <laughs> not my favorite coach. Generally, you are long not, on record with that. But generally does not adjust to the second half. But apparently the Seattle had nothing to adjust with because Russell Wilson just ran for his life the whole game. He was the quarterback who led his team in rushing, not like mm-hmm. I predicted Aaron Rodgers would be. Uh, so they were getting nothing out of C.J. Procise, Eddie Lacy, some other kid that they, they, they tossed in there who picked up a few yards. Uh, Carson, I think, was his name. But they were producing absolutely nothing. Yes, they were producing absolutely nothing offensively. And I, I, it wasn't great defense. And that's where getting the idiot Joe Buck and Troy Aikman commentating team would have made you think, that it was just stellar defense. Oh, this is just amazing. No, both quarterbacks were running for their lives the whole game on the snap. It was just jailbreak on every play. And how do you, how do you even start to even think that that's amazing defense when both offensive lines are just sieves? You have to call what's in front of you. You can't just go with whatever narrative you have written down before the game and, and not adjust to what's happening. You have to call the fact that the first play of the game, 
uh, the Seahawks left tackle Reese Odiambo offers absolutely no protection for Russell Wilson and, and gives up a sack on the third play by falling down on his ass and Nick Perry runs by him and, and sacks him. So you have to call it like it is. I just, I don't understand why you have to just feel like you, you have to stay true to whatever it is that whatever storyline got wrote up by the producers before the game started. You have to call what's happening. As I said, both teams had to try to pretend to protect their quarterback at some point, and neither one of them did. And finally, when the Packers started trying to protect Aaron Rodgers, even just a little bit, is when they finally started having some some success. And Rodgers pulls out the patented quick snap to catch the Seahawks with 12 in on the field uh, in the third quarter to get a, a touchdown and make it 14 to six at that point. And 14 turned out to be way more than enough. It was plenty uh, in this game. It, it's, it's a really, really bad sign for both teams when you come out on your opening game and you just refuse to protect your quarterback and everyone knew coming into the season that that was going to be your problem. And you seem like you failed to address it at all. And, and this is what you got. I picked the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, And I feel like a complete moron right now because they don't look anything like a Super Bowl champion. I'm going to go on record here and say that you, my Super Bowl picks are holding up a little stronger than yours so far. I mean, I know it's only week one, but Seahawks Texans, isn't looking yeah. that great right now. I mean, what a great comeback story it would be for both teams if they started playing better than they did in week one, huh? <laughs> well, we know the Seahawks are going to go home and, and they're going to get well. They'll, they'll, they'll win seven games at home. They usually win eight. I'm just I'm, I'm knocking one off for them because of how bad their offensive line play looked. You, you, you'd think that that's hopefully something that they can fix but I don't think that they are going to be able to, to take that on the road with them. And we always talk about, you know, the good run game always travels well. It's not just an issue where that offensive line was not pass protecting. They weren't run blocking either. No, they weren't blocking anything. No. So the Seahawks, yeah, the, 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 the flag went up on them. But I would say – Somebody had to win that game, and I don't feel any better about Green Bay than I do about Seattle right now because Aaron Rodgers is going to have to survive this season on basically back being backed by the same lack of pass protection and no running game. So they, they need a lot of help. Both of those teams need some help, and it's all up front because you're going to get two marquee quarterbacks just annihilated if this keeps up. I will say in the Seahawks' favor that I was encouraged in the preseason by Russell Wilson apparently having his mobility back. And sure enough, uh, in this game, the the way the Seahawks got the three points in the first half to make it a 3 nothing score instead of nothing-nothing, which would have really been shocking, uh, was that Wilson had to roll to his right to make a nice throw to Doug Baldwin, and then he had one of those classic scrambles up the middle past the pass rush and got 28 yards. And it's like, okay, there it is. There's... There's the old Russ, so he's showing those signs of being back, and he's going to need to be if he's going to get blocking like this because it's going to be yeah. a very long season uh, if he gets protection like this going forward. Yeah, I, I really don't know who to say that opens up the door for if Seattle falters. I mean, is it the Rams? I don't take anything that anybody does this year against the Colts seriously. I'll just go out on a limb and say that. 
and making me feel even more like an idiot for not picking that as the lock of the week. Although, yeah. who would have thought that the most points in week one would have been scored by the Los Angeles Rams? Yeah. The two games that I felt the most lockish after Atlanta were L.A. and Jacksonville. And, oh, I should have yeah. picked either one of those. Wow. I know I crapped all over your Texans this week. I, I'm so sorry. I, I literally uh, – hey. that was I, – I just shit all over them. Not as bad as their coach did, yanking the starting quarterback in the, in the first half. I mean, when you make that kind of decision, and he, and this is his move, Bill O'Brien is uh, – he's the man when it comes to yanking your starting quarterback in the first game of the season. Uh, second time in the last three years he's done that. But what does that say about your team, about your quarterback, when you can't let him go more than a half – into the season before you say, I, I got to make a change. I can't, I, I got to, I can't deal with this anymore. Now, I guess in his defense, when you see the first half that Tom Savage had, because bad football is one thing, but being scared to death to let the ball go and just staring at the field as if you've never played football before and allowing yourself to get, those are, it was not good blocking at all by the Texans. I'm not going to pretend like it was, but a lot of those sacks that Savage was taking was just him being a, a complete statue and looking like he was scared of the moment, like as if he'd never played an NFL game before. And that maybe is justification for benching your quarterback after halftime when he has a look on his face, like he's just completely afraid to play football. I, I guess I understand it a little more, but even so, it's still a very damning statement on your team when you have to make, for whatever reason, the decision to bench your starting quarterback after a single half ball. Just unbelievable. Yeah, we talked a little. We talked actually a lot uh, about that Jacksonville revamped defense, and it it was impressive. Oh boy! I mean, granted, they were doing it against Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson in his first uh career playing time in the NFL and he gets thrust into a situation where Tom Savage was getting well savaged in the first half and sorry I went there and uh Watson hey hey Watson had one good drive produced a touchdown right away and really the only difference I saw with Watson over Savage was he was using his legs he had to he was running for his life we saw a lot of that that was the theme of week one, quarterbacks just running for their lives. And so we saw it again, and Watson was able to get out of the pocket and get things moving and, and, you know, and move that team down and get a touchdown out of it. And after that, it was just more of the same. Jacksonville adjusted to it um, pretty quickly. But, man, they have they, – they've got – they keep that defense healthy. That was scary good what the Jacksonville defense did, although it was against subpar offense. I mean – we you can only play who you're playing. Yeah, we can't, we're not going to see great offensive things from the Houston Texans this year. We're just we're just not. But you can only play your opponent. You, the Rams, you all the, all the credit to for their defense, but yeah, you can criticize who they were playing very much so. Yep. But you can only play your opponent. They weren't playing Andrew Luck; they were playing Scott Tolzien, and then they did what they're supposed to do against Scott Tolzien, but. Yeah, that Jags defense, uh, did they look like what we were predicting that they would look like before the season started? Boy, howdy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I was very impressed by the Jaguars. This is the team 
that finally, after this is week one, overreaction theater. Welcome in, in case you're listening. Uh, this is overreaction theater. You, this is going on in every uh, post-game show and every uh, show that's recapping what happened in week one. Everyone's overreacting to everything that happened in week one, and we're no different. We're not above that. Uh, this is the Jaguars team that everyone always hypes every year when they say the Jaguars are ready to break through. This is what it's, it's supposed to look like. Uh, punishing fast defense, uh, an offense that that has a, a bell cow running back that can carry the load and, and overcome the fact that Blake Bortles is a quarterback. Uh, it was it was all there for you. They put it all together in one week, and you know hats off to them. And we'll see what happens in week two. Uh, that we neither one of us is going to say is flukish, obviously, because we both picked the uh, the Jaguars to make the playoffs this year. Uh, did you pick the Jaguars to make the playoffs? I did. Yeah, I, I thought you did. Uh, I know we both picked the Titans as well because you have the Titans winning the division. Is that right? I do. I do. Yeah, the uh-huh. team that I have out is actually Houston. I'm feeling pretty yeah. good about that one right at the moment. Yeah, yeah as you should. Um, so, yeah, I was – the point I was making was that the Jaguars won't be any surprise to us what they did on Sunday. The Rams, what they did is definitely on every level is a surprise. The defense we've, we've always thought is solid, but we didn't think it was like this. This was playmaking touchdowns, uh, smothering every angle, uh, cutting off every passing lane. And then the offense takes the field and Jared Goff goals for over 300 yards. You could have knocked me over with a feather when I saw that Jared Goff was actually out there balling and putting putting up stats through the air with the help of guys no one had ever heard of. But it it was all it was all right there. They they put it all together in the very first game of the season, looking completely different from what they normally look like. Was 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 Jeff Fisher that big of a of a of a douchebag of a coach was was that the difference they just needed to make a change there no they were playing <laughs> scott tolzien oh yeah but they weren't playing him on defense that was the colts defense was a, uh well that's that's always been a problem too but they weren't playing scott tolzien when jared golf was out there on the field looking like an all pro no but that's also the colts defense there were the Colts. I said that the Rams were going to be the worst team in football. I may have been mistaken. There were a few teams that were really contending for the worst team in football title. You had the Colts, you had the 49ers, um, and you had the, and the Jets. The Jets tried. I'll give them at least the benefit of the doubt for at least trying, but that was that was pretty awful football. I mean, that's multiple games that you saw that were extremely lopsided. Now, I didn't count Houston in that. You still there? I am. Yeah, I am here. Oh. I started getting some advertising playing in my ear. Really? Yeah, because the uh, site that I have up where I've got my my, uh, okay. and all my stuff decided to start playing an, ad, an advertisement. And that was not cool. <laughs> well, thankfully, we didn't hear it. No, only I heard it. It was really loud. <laughs> so 
no, I didn't have Houston or even Cincinnati in that in that worst team that I saw over the Cincinnati. We we just get games <laughs> like that from Andy. Andy Dalton just does that sometimes, right? Yeah, he just yeah. shows up and he has that game. Usually not right off the bat to start the season. No, that reminds that reminds me of the. Uh, trying to look for an edge, the stats that I was going back to to see what teams have done the last three years with uh, under their veteran coaches. And that reminds me to say that I may have stumbled across something here. I may have gotten something because they're right off the, I'll tell you the bad, right off the bat, the Bengals right at the top were 3-0 and the last three week ones, 3-0 and straight up and 3-1 and against the spread under Marvin Lewis. Throw that out the window because that didn't work. Now, I got Marvin Lewis getting fired at the end of the year, so I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised. But that was one trend that got busted. Another one was the Cow- <clears throat> excuse me, the Cowboys were 0-3 against the spread their last three uh, week ones, and they busted that over the Giants. Uh, Giants missing Odell Beckham, but, hey, you can only play who's on the other side of the field. So credit to the Cowboys. But on the good side of that trend, the Redskins under Jay Gruden, 0-3 the last three years. How they do. So I got that. The Colts, 0-3 the last three years under Chuck Pagano and 1-2 and against the spread. They didn't show up. The Saints, 0-3 under Sean Payton the last three years in week one. How'd that happen? That was ugly uh, on Monday night against the Vikings. So I, I may be on to something there. The teams that are, are god-awful in week one under their, their coaches, Go ahead and short them. I, I, that would have been a nice parlay to play those three and put everything on it. After the fact, I understand that doesn't help anybody now, but something to keep an eye on next year for week one. Try to seek out those coaches that are not doing well with their teams in week one and go ahead and, and short them all you want. Yeah, we'll see how many of those coaches are still around. That's a great point. <laughs> All three of those coaches may not be there for you next year at the at the start of the season. Yeah, it'll be really uh, be really easy to jump up and start patting myself or ourselves at least for one pick on our, on our backs, or myself for picking the Minnesota Vikings uh, both to win the game. But I also have them winning the division. Let's put this in perspective. They made Sam Bradford look like Joe Montana on Monday Night Football. There, the Saints against a real. NFL offense would have probably been given up 60 points in that game. <laughs> that was Sam Bradford uh-huh. and guys. I, I mean, seriously, the Saints defense is atrocious. That's the easiest call of the week right there is from game, coming out of that game that I could see is that that wasn't necessarily the, the – the great play of the New Orleans, I mean, the Minnesota Vikings. That was a Saints defense that still has not improved. They let Sam Bradford turn him into Swiss cheese. They couldn't cover Adam Thielen, for Christ's sake. I, I'm about to give a lot of praise to Sam Bradford, and this is a moment that oh. I never thought was going to come. So you going to throw up just... in your mouth a little? I am. Bear with me. If I don't make it through without vomiting, then take over for me. But but here here we go. I'm gonna put everything out there that I saw and make sure I give full credit and full blame for everything uh, that I saw in that game. 
the first couple of Vikings offensive drives, it looked like the Saints defense were just crashing down and pursuing everything on run defense with extra guys because they didn't fear Bradford killing them by throwing play action or going over the top of them at all. And check down Sam was in full effect. Bradford responded those first couple drives. And if you remember, the first drive was very long, like seven minutes, and the second drive was in the second quarter somewhere. He was doing the check down thing. He was throwing short crossers. He was finding the running backs on third down and stuff like that. They were they were working out. They're, the the athletes were going to get the first downs after he got the ball out to them. And then something just kind of switched. Uh, in midway through the second quarter, uh, after the Saints took the lead, 6-3, to three, something switched in Bradford. And, and I don't know if it was a coaching staff or it was Bradford himself, but he realized what the Saints were doing. They were playing very tight. They were daring him to beat them with his arms. So he just starts zipping it all over the field. Adam Thielen for 35, uh, a sling to uh, Jarius Wright for 21, a play fake roll right to the to wide open Stephon Diggs, 18-yard touchdown, three straight great throws. Next drive, uh, Adam Thielen uh, again beating them for 44 on a big catch and run. Uh, Radford was just accurate, just A-plus accuracy. A, another beautiful throw between defenders to, to, uh, to, to Stephon Diggs for 20 yards and got uh, a personal foul on Kenny Vaccaro for jacking him up, but he caught the ball anyway. An amazing tight fade to Diggs for the two-yard touchdown. It was it was the best I'd ever seen Sam Bradford play by like 4,000 miles. It was There were some magical throws Sam Bradford was making on this night, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know why he was doing it, but he was playing his ass off. His receivers, the guys you never heard of, this Adam Thielen guy that they couldn't they couldn't suck off hard enough because he was a undrafted white guy who worked his way up and came through the Vikings uh, players camp or what have you. Uh, he was balling. I can't take anything away from him. He kept breaking open. Sam kept hitting him, and the Saints defenders kept not defending it. Uh, they, they were looked like they were trying to play a zone D at one point. It was just leaking everywhere, just holes all over their zone D. So, yes, the Saints defense is still very bad. But I can't give enough credit to Sam Bradford for making the throws that he made. The thought of him playing like this every week is what's the, what's the problem with Sam Bradford because he's not going to do this every week because he's not consistent enough. He's just not. But for one night, he looked like a complete world beater and – I do want to say that the Saints defense had something to do with it, but I do want to call it like I saw it. Those, Some of those throws were extremely tight windows. Some of those throws took a lot of zip and accuracy, the combination of the two, a lot of touch, and he, he put it right where it needed to be. His accuracy was so on point. I, I can't believe I just spent three minutes praising Sam Bradford, but I, I call it like I see it, and he was awesome on Monday night. The, 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 what happened on Monday night, we talk about crazy things happen. How about uh, it, we wound up going, I, I guess, 1-0-1 against the spread with those picks on Monday night. But the crazy thing that wound up happening, we said the crazy thing would be the Chargers uh, rising up and going to Denver and beating that, uh, that defense. And that didn't happen, although they rallied back and, and earned the push. But here's the crazy thing that wound up happening. In game one, Sam Bradford clearly outplayed Hall of Famer Drew Brees. And in game two, uh, 
uh, the, the Denver quarterback Trevor Simeon outplayed Phillip Rivers. Those are the crazy things that happened on Monday night. So Monday night did Monday night for us. That that week one Monday night craziness did actually come through for us. Is just in ways that we never thought uh, that it was going to happen. Yeah, and let's let's not forget that Sam Bradford went twenty-seven for thirty-two, and there were three drops by Viking receivers that were clear. He could have been. He could have been 30 for 32 for about 400 yeah. yards. I'm guessing that would have set some kind of a record if you go 30 <laughs> for 32. I'm I, going I'm to just go out on so. the limb for that many attempts. I don't know if we've seen that many completions. And we made fun of Sam Bradford for uh, becoming the all-time single-season completion percentage uh, record. They weren't these game. throws. No, he wasn't. He wasn't trying these no. throws last year. He was trying five and and eight yard checkdown yeah. throws like he was doing the first couple of drives. But Sam Bradford and and Dalvin Cook, uh, who uh, sets the single season uh, rookie rushing record in his first game as a Viking. Oh, by the way, over the guy who's standing on the other sideline yapping at Sean Payton during the game, Adrian Peterson. Um, that's not a good homecoming. You can't bring in Adrian Peterson when you're the Saints and you've got this high-flying offense when he completely just doesn't fit what you're trying to do. Because every time they brought in Adrian Peterson, it felt like he was the change of pace that you didn't want. It's like, oh, look, yeah. AP's in the game. I guess they're going to line up tight and run the ball. That's a win. <laughs> Anytime Drew Brees isn't dropping back and shredding your defense and they're just giving the ball to, to old blown out knees, Adrian Peterson, and you're clearly forcing the issue. It, this reminds me of that first year Jimmy Graham was in Seattle where they're just, they're, they're trying to shoehorn him in and it completely looked like they were just trying to force Adrian Peterson into the game. Granted it was in Minnesota they're trying to get him in there, you know, against his former team. I'm sure he's all jacked up, ready to go. But it just there was no rhythm to them trying to fit in AP at all. But I do think that Sam Bradford and the excellent play that he had overshadowed the fact that you were briefly alluded to the fact that the Vikings defense, until total garbage time, held Drew Brees and the Saints to four field goals. Mm-hmm. That could be. No, that were. truly could be. The Vikings could be a dangerous team this year if we keep getting well, that. Certainly after the Vikings got the lead, they came to eat. That defense came for, for Drew oh, Brees' yeah. head, and, and Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter were just eating him alive. And forcing the, the, forcing the AP point, uh, Adrian Peterson, for me the biggest force came when it was still the, – the result was still possibly in doubt – where the the Vikings had a 26 to nine lead that's pretty much game over, but the saints drove down, got there right there at the goal line. And they had a third and goal play where breeze was just looking at Adrian Peterson and looking at him and looking at him and looking at him and staring him down and looking at him and finally tried to force one in there. And it was incomplete. It was so obvious. He was trying to force a touchdown to Adrian Peterson uh, in Minnesota. And it was, at the detriment of the game plan of trying to actually win the game because he should have been going to any number of other options that would have yeah. been more open than Peterson was. Peter was Peterson was completely covered and Breeze refused to look any other way but there. So that was just a lost effort all around by the Saints uh, Monday night. Yeah. And speaking of great defense this weekend, can you fire up yeah. the Benny Hill music? 
for, for <laughs> oh, I, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> for for great defense or for maybe not so great defense. That's right. I'm talking about your Chicago Bears. Completely decided in a tight game to let a tight end go mm. 88 yards virtually uncovered and then allow him to stiff arm his way and develop a convoy of blockers into the end zone. I'm talking about Austin Hooper on a patented only the only the Bears. Only the <laughs> Bears can play that cover zero. I know cover zero is a real NFL defense. We don't use it in a football X's and O's term when we talk about the Bears and their vaunted cover zero. That's basically the Bears cover nobody. Or they just let yeah. one guy run completely behind the defense. And we see this creep up every, what, couple times, a few times a year? Sometimes it creeps up at the worst possible time, uh, Randall Cobb, running behind <clears> that <throat> defense on a fourth down, completely uncovered, or or Steve Smith in the playoffs. I mean, how many times are we going to see? Are, how many times are you going to see as a Bears fan a wide receiver, in this case a tight end, just – left virtually uncovered that was and that could that was the difference in the game atlanta's offense looked you want to talk about icky god atlanta offense looked terrible the decline Um, has already started i just don't i don't know what steve sarkeesian is trying to do um besides drink yeah that's what he's trying to do and then on the one play when things actually break down and matt ryan shows that goes out there and tries to do a little matt ryan stuff Oh, wait, look, there's his tight end 50 yards downfield with nobody on the TV screen with him. Not just a Bears cover zero. No, 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 don't cover, don't cover. No, 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 back away. Go, no, no cover. Let him go, let him go, let him go. A Bears cover zero combined with a bitch stiff arm. We got everything on that play. (laughs) That was somebody under the turf. Yeah. With a stiff arm. Bitch, get off me. Just. You had it all there. And and with all of that, Falcons almost still lost. They should have lost. Yeah. yeah. The Bears, well, had the Bears two dropped two touchdowns. Touchdown they, dropped. they dropped two touchdowns. Two of them right there for you at yeah. the goal line to win the game. So that was cover zero and touchdown zero. No, no, no. Don't catch it. Don't win the game. Don't win the game. We need the number one draft pick next year. Don't catch it. I don't, I don't. I can't. Can't explain it any other way. I don't know. But that was my only takeaway from that game. Atlanta's offense looked terrible, and the Bears basically did only what the Bears can do. I wish I could see that more consistently with other teams, where they just let a receiver go free. Like, if it happens regularly with any other teams, maybe their friend, their fan bases want to contact us and let me know or something, but. I, I, maybe I'm just being a, a Bears hater because I'm a yeah. fan and it, and it, and I hate them when they're bad like this. So maybe I notice it more, but it sure seems like the Chicago Bears back end, their secondary just loves to leave guys completely uncovered wide open every, I don't know, 10 or 12 games. It seems it just, it, yeah. and it doesn't matter who the coaches are. It's different coaching staff. It's different players way different personnel these guys haven't been there all these years but they it's something in the dna when you put that bears uniform on 
the first thing you learn is how to not cover somebody or, or get confused in, in your coverage. They yeah. had that happen in the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning. What, what, I forget who that was. was. It Reggie Wayne? Well, I think that might have been Reggie Wayne. Yeah, the guy, of course, why, why would you cover him? No, why would you get to the Super Bowl and decide to cover Reggie Wayne? Who, who would do that? No. I mean, no. the whole thing with uh, Steve Smith was when we pulled out the one, uh, the joke we haven't used in a while about the ice cream truck drivers that the Bears were signing <laughs> to play corner. Because that was the story going into that game against Carolina. That they had some some guy off the street, and I forget what menial task that he had done before he was playing football. And then somehow that guy ends up one on one with Steve Smith. And that goes about the way you would think it would go. Yeah, it's the guy's. You know, the ball goes flying up in the air. There's Steve Smith running under it with nobody on the screen because the ice cream truck driver was, you know, faked out of his shoes. But on that play, mm-hmm. on that Austin Hooper play, you literally saw the Bears' entire secondary just let him go. Yeah, only the Bears, as you said. Yeah. That's that's, that's the their Bears. move. So I thought we'd get a little Benny Hill moment in there for you. I, I actually – one of the few texts I sent you was uh, about that moment right there. Like, oh, there we go. Bears playing the old cover zero again. I didn't know if you were watching it or if you were working. but I thought No, I was – on my way home when I saw that text, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and it was as bad as advertised when you saw the replay, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was it was worse because you had that combined with the bitch. It's like, okay, how much more emasculated can you get on one play? You leave a guy wide open, and then when someone comes to try to tackle him, he gets thrown into the second row of stands. It's like, what, what else do you need? That's just yeah. embarrassing. Hey, do you know who else uh, made an appearance this week? Oh, who would that be? <laughs> Merry Christmas! Here's a pick for you and a pick for you. I don't, I don't know how much longer I'm going to get to do that. So anything more I can get out of Carson Palmer and me able to do my interception Santa bit, uh, I actually, I just need him to keep it up. But, oh man, he was terrible. He probably won't get to do it that much longer. There's just nobody behind him, so he's gonna he's gonna have to get killed. I mean, he's not literally, but he's, he's gonna have to he's going to have to get hurt, I should say. Otherwise, they they don't have anybody to to replace him with. They're not gonna bench Carson Palmer for Drew Stanton. They're just not going to do it. Well, that's okay. He can uh, the the Cardinals can rebound. He can always turn around and hand it to the best uh, dual threat running back oh. in the in the business, and David oh, Johnson. No. I mean. They always have that play. Uh, oh, what? Oh no! What? 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 I say? What happened? What? Oh no! Yeah, he's. Oh, David Johnson. Did, did, hey, he's, did only I miss half, he's only out half the season. I believe they said they hope to get him back by December. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what will the what will the Cardinals' record be? By week 12. Mm. The over-under is going to be about three games under 500, I would think, at that point. At which point you decide what's the point of bringing them back at all. You don't. You absolutely don't. There's there's no reason to risk what will be your franchise after this season to any kind of 
any kind of football ability unless he's got to go out there, unless he's playing for a bonus or something, but you can't, you can't miss eight weeks at least. Uh, was that a fractured wrist? Well, it was something. So. Yeah, not good. Well, that makes sense as to why he got hurt and then they brought him back and then he fumbled on the very next play. It's hard to tote the rock with a fractured wrist. <laughs> Uh, I would think so. Um, yeah, that's just when you think about all the fantasy leagues in which he was drafted one and two, and this is what you get out of him for the whole season. That has to suck. Yeah, I, I feel I really feel for all of the people that drafted him. I wasn't able to because I didn't get one or two in my draft. Not that I'm bitter or anything. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that's just just killer. The guys I work with is uh very heavy into uh, fantasy and degenerate gambling, um, you know, and all of that. And his, his top guy was David Johnson, like in fantasy. Oh. I mean, uh, like, uh, I'm not trying to say fantasy league. Um, An auction league? Keep, no, it's the ones we can oh, keep keeper league. year after year. Yeah. Keeper league, but you know, it's more like a, you know, with the future franchise mode, like, mm-hmm. like a dynasty league. Mm-hmm. Guys, you know, a certain number of guys year after year. And that was the guy he kept, and it cost him his first-round draft pick. And I'm just oh. like, oh, oh, no. That's the NFL for you, though. So you have a massively ineffective Carson Palmer out there pulling his best interception Santa bit, and then you lose virtually what might be the best or at least a top two or three running back in the league. So goodbye, Cardinals. We hardly knew you. God, it's like I picked him to make the playoffs again or something. Oh boy, I'm I see I stayed away from that one. Yeah. I'm nope, sure I, I got on that yeah, horse one more time. No, you did. I guess that opens up the door for the Rams. <laughs> That's right, the Rookie of the Year, Cooper Cup. Yeah, the Rams going to finish ahead of the Cardinals. I guess that that's going to become the new, uh, your new toss up. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Johnson, speaking of fantasy, that allows me to tell the crushing story of uh, what happened to me in fantasy this week, oh. because everyone cares about everyone else's fantasy team. Of course. Uh, so I made the genius, miraculous call when I woke up Sunday morning and I thought about it. I drafted the Broncos defense, right? But I picked the Chargers and Phillip Rivers to put some points on them and win the game on Monday night. So I woke up Sunday morning before I went to work and said, you know, if I'm going to stick to what I actually think is going to happen, then I might want to get another defense. Uh, all these games where I'm saying, oh, this is going to be an under, this is guaranteed under, this is, uh, these these both these offenses are terrible. Uh, maybe I should actually back that up and go on the waiver wire and pick up a different defense. And I picked up the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm sitting very pretty at the end of Sunday, I have a very slight lead of like four or five points on my opponent after Sunday's uh, uh, games are all finished. And for Monday, he's got one player left, and it's Saints tight end Kobe Fleener. And I have one player left, and it's Broncos kicker Brandon McManus. Fleener played like not much. He maybe had a catch or two before the last garbage time drive for the saints in which 
Breeze found Fleener for a touchdown, putting my opponent up by uh, several points going into the Denver game. So I'm not feeling like it's a lost cause because I have a Broncos kicker, which no matter if his name is Jason Elam or Matt Prater or whatever, throughout the years, it's always good to have a Broncos kicker because of that altitude. And he gets the three extra points because the Broncos refused to uh, score field goals. Trevor Simeon was playing too well and CJ Anderson, and uh, they wound up getting a bunch of touchdowns to get the extra points, but I'm still thinking that we get all that. Now all I need is one field goal to clinch the victory. And so that drive happened at the, uh, towards the end of the game where Simeon goes downfield for a big bomb, gets them near the red zone and all of a sudden, Melvin Ingram takes out his dick and whips everybody with it and sacks Simeon twice to force him back into a 50-yard field goal attempt, which McManus pushed to the right. And I lost my fantasy game this week by less than a point. Ouch. Less yeah. than a point. Yeah, it's tough I could have... I could have just left the Rams defense on the waiver wire and used the Broncos and it wouldn't have mattered because I still would have lost. My genius move all goes to waste because of the dual crazy happenings, uh, uh, unpredictable yeah. happenings of Kobe Fleener getting a garbage time touchdown and Brandon McMahon is pushing a 50-yard field goal. That would have been a much shorter field goal if they could have just blocked fucking Melvin Ingram two times. Now, did you lose a point for the miss at all, or are you not in that kind of a league? Honestly, I haven't looked. I've, I oh. was so heartbroken. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to know if I was leading and lost because of that miss. I don't want to know. Yeah, that's because a lot of leagues you get penalized for missed field goals, mm-hmm. and that may have. If uh, yeah. You lost a, if you lost a point for that missed field goal, you were winning, and yeah. then lost, which is even worse. To keep myself from committing suicide, I'm not going to go look and, and find out. That's, that, anyway. that's advisable. That's advisable. Uh, so back to football observations from week one. What else uh, did you want to talk about that happened out there? Uh, did you see the end? Did you see the end of the Eagles Redskins game? Uh, we have some <laughs> bad officiating to talk about. Oh, go for it. Did you see the play I'm talking about? Don't believe I did. Uh, okay. I, so I, know you, I saw highlights, but yeah, I don't. I, have, no, I don't. You have the uh, Redskins down by six, so it's twenty-three seventeen, and the Redskins have the ball, and Cousins at home is trying to mount a comeback, and he gets uh, strip sacked. Okay. And the Eagles end up. You know, going and, and they score a touchdown off of it, and you're thinking, oh, pff, wow, you know, game over. Except Cousins is doing the whole like, no, no, I was, I, I was throwing the ball, and oh, I even, think I did see that. And then so, they even cut to old Mike Pereira, and in, in, in you know wherever he sits now, and everybody, even the broadcasters and Mike Pereira, everybody in the world, and me and the people I'm working with, we are all watching replays of Kirk Cousins basically throwing the ball into the guy's hand and then the ball getting deflected backwards and then scooped up. Everybody Mm -hmm. sees this except for the official and apparently the replay official 
uh, in New York because it, it was pretty obvious on the replay. And as they kept showing it over and over, and there was one view where you actually see him go forward, ball comes out of his hand, goes into either the guy's hand or his helmet, and it's really quick. But it's a throwing motion. And it came out hard, too. I mean, it's not like that was something where, you know, it was one direction and then the other. Everybody in the world is like, oh, okay, they're going to give the Redskins the ball back. They're only down six. They're still going to have a chance to go down and, and, and win with the late touchdown and game over. And everybody was like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, all the guys in the booth, well, I guess that really was it's amazing how these guys just just change everything <laughs> that everybody sees. But they got to real. oh, well, well, can't go on and you know dwell too long on the fact that the refs totally missed the – game-ending play, basically, what it ended up being. Uh, so the Eagles end up winning 30-17, to 17, although the Redskins were uh, driving. Yeah, that was the highlight that I remember seeing. The, the, you could see the air between his yeah. fingers and the ball because the ball was already gone before the, yes. the guy's hand hit him or, or what have you. Yeah, you could see the air there. I, I thought the only – the reason I didn't really – think too hard on this because I thought maybe there was a, an argument and I, would, I didn't watch the actual game. This is just a highlight that I happened to catch, but I thought there was maybe an argument that, that the ball was going maybe sideways and maybe it was a ladder, but even that's a fumble or I, either way, I, I didn't understand the, you know, I didn't know what the argument could have been that that wasn't a fumble because there sure seemed to be air in between the, yeah. the hand and the ball. There was, he threw it. But it was the it was a forward pass fumble. I haven't seen that one before. <laughs> the only thing I wrote down from that highlight from watching it was how it struck me that Cousins was throwing while backpedaling like he's Jay Cutler or something, and got the <laughs> predictable uh, interception to yeah. seal the thing for because you don't do that. You don't throw forward while backpedaling backwards. Cutler does that all the time, and that's part of why he's not nearly as successful a quarterback as he should have been. So uh, Cousins learning some bad lessons in the offseason, apparently. And we'll get to see uh, Jay Cutler, Miami Dolphins, finally. and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finally play this week. Unless, unless there's another hurricane waiting. Uh, well, there is. I, Jose is coming. Uh, I don't know if it's going to affect uh, these games this week, but there there is another hurricane uh, forming out there. But climate change isn't real, of course. Uh, hurricanes have been happening for ever in clusters like this. No, not, not, not ever. Not like this, this whole okay. different ball game. What we're doing right well, now. Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> you know, by the way, climate change is the most canned silly statement ever. They can't call it global warming anymore because they had to stop calling it global warming because all the, the data didn't necessarily support warming overall. So they had to start calling it climate change. The climate's always changing. So And some people don't believe it, that. It's incredible. Just on its, but just on its face, the climate's always changing. It was before we were here, <laughs> after we're gone, the cli- it's the it's the climate. It's it's never the same. <laughs> Ever. Throughout the history of the planet Earth, it will always change. Uh, not according to certain people, if you listen to them. It's all the same. It's all a, it's all a hoax, all a conspiracy. It's all fake news. 
But that's 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 one of those phrases that I if you don't believe in climate change, well, how can you not? It's always changing. Whether it now there may be people who debate about why it's changing or what's causing it to change, but the one thing you cannot get away from is it's it's always changing. You know, we didn't have ice. You know, there've been ice ages. Those weren't caused by us. That, that that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and Antarctica falling off and melting off is is something that can't be denied either. But yet, some people just seem to not want to believe anything yes. that's out there. Now, yeah, but considering the fact that they've only got this is where I don't fall onto the whole like, oh, it's never happened like this before with the hurricanes, or this is the most powerful. And then they go, they go like, well, no, this one really wasn't the most powerful one. Um, when they came up with the statistic that we had two category four hurricanes at the same time and the first time that's ever happened, the thing they didn't tell you is they've only been keeping those records since 1970. Uh. So it's the first time it's happened in 47 years. But they're going to make you think, if you don't know or you're not paying attention, that's the first time it's ever happened in the history of ever. No, it's the first time it's happened since 1970. It's like the ESPN top 10, you know, somebody just does something great and now it's in the top 10 of all time. That's what we just had happen with these two hurricanes. All right, so we'll, we'll get off of that because we're running low on our live show, and we'll get to what's happening on Thursday night, which is going to be, I guess, Deshaun Watson reportedly is going to be the quarterback for the Texans and not Tom Savage. I don't know either way if it's going to make too much of a difference. Uh, the Houston Texans visiting the Cincinnati Bengals, two of the worst performances of week one and someone's got to break out of the, the schneid unless they want to play to a tie and really make everybody uh, sick to their stomachs. Uh, I can't believe there are five different players concussed for the Texans in this game uh, in week one against the Jaguars. I mean, you, you, you just got your ass beat. You got into a, uh, into an alley street fight and just got beat every which way. Uh, for the Bengals, uh, once again, no Vontez Burfitt because of suspension, but they get Pac-Man Jones back from his uh, we'll see if that helps them out uh, at all. Uh, so Houston on the road last year, two and six. Bengals at home, four and three. And this game in week two, Houston gets six and a half points. Houston plus six and a half at Cincinnati. Jason, who you got? So let's see here. The Cincinnati Bengals, a week after getting shut out at home, are six and a half point favorites against the Houston Texans and that Vaughn. <laughs> sure, why? Why not? I'll take the Bengals. What the hell, huh? Uh, I, I always say uh, that you have to have a compelling reason to take a road team on these short weeks on Thursday night. And this would seem to be an even shorter week uh, because of all the injuries and the quarterback changes. You almost never change quarterbacks voluntarily on a short week. But this is going to be one of those rare times that it happens with Bill O'Brien. And because Andy Dalton and the Bengals played that poorly this past Sunday, I think it might actually work. Um, and, of course, you can accuse me of being still a Houston uh, favoritist because I did pick them to go to the Super Bowl. I understand after one week that looks like a really, really dumb pick. And give them one more chance to perform, and I'll take the Texans and the six-and-a-half points at Cincinnati. More on our after show when we come back. 
And now into our VIP after show program. We had some uh, games between some big time teams, some playoff contenders that we didn't get around to in a live show. So we'll give a little love to those outcomes. Uh, the Raiders and the Titans played an entertaining game uh, that I think showed a lot of us uh, what we could possibly expect from both teams. The Raiders with that incredible offense and the Titans with the offense that's almost there, but not quite. Uh, and what happened was uh, what I was afraid was going to happen. I said when I made the pick, when I picked the Titans, that they have to come after Derek Carr. That defense has to pressure him. They have to make him uncomfortable. They cannot let him come back from that broken leg and get right back into the rhythm with his guys and act like he hasn't missed a beat. And that's exactly what wound up happening. They got some pressure, but not enough. Uh, and Derek Carr wound up looking like he hadn't missed any time at all and fell right back into uh, the the great offensive player and the great offensive team that the Raiders have been uh, for the last year or so. Uh, and Tennessee and Marcus Mariota had their chances to answer on the other side and just couldn't do it because Mariota isn't on that level quite yet. He's looking like he's almost there, but once again, falling just short of, of the level that he needs to be. Yeah, this is one of those where I got caught not picking with what I originally thought to start the season, which was that the Raiders were Super Bowl talent and that the Titans are going to be good enough to win their division, which is quite possibly the worst one in football. Um, no, the Raiders, uh, they were as advertised. They looked really solid, you know, and I think that's what we would expect. I mean, they, although when you, when you break down the actual stats of the game, they were actually very even. I mean, almost right down the line. I'm looking at them right now. First downs, only one apart. Total yards, only nine apart. Uh you know, Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota threw for almost the same amount of yards. Both teams ran for almost the same amount. I mean, so everything looked even, unless if you watched the game, nothing looked even. If you watched the game, you okay. clearly were watching the Raiders looked like the superior team. They, they were they were making the plays when they mattered, and that's what you didn't see the Titans doing. So something where, you know, we, we – I had the Titans ascending to a level that they're not quite at yet, and this could be something that builds all season. I think they are going to get better as the season goes on, and they're going to definitely benefit from being in the absolute biggest hot garbage division in the league. So a Herculean effort for them to do it. But the Raiders, they looked good. On the road in a hostile environment against a good team. And they showed up. And they really, uh, they really uh, made me feel good again about uh, the faith that I've put in them for this year. Their defense yeah, just they... didn't get crushed. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. They had to rely on a last-second fluky thing happening um, to get a win. They just went out and they just won that game. Yeah, they were able to blitz and. and cover the receivers downfield once they got the lead. They were able to uh, give Mariota not enough time to make a comeback and, and, and find his targets downfield. His deep attempts were off target uh, or they went where he thought the wide receiver should have been or maybe the receiver uh, didn't 
catch a blitz and, and he didn't make his, his route hot and make himself available where he needed to be or Mariota was inaccurate and, and threw the ball completely where it wasn't supposed to be. It's one of those things you can't really tell which happened, but there was a lot of that miscommunication out there. So they're, you know, they're just not quite there yet. The Titans are, are good. They're not as good as they could be. And, and is one of those games that Mariota uh, lost last year when the Raiders came in, lost this year, uh, maybe in a couple of years, if the Raiders come back, the, the type of game that he'll find a way to win because he'll have a little more uh, seasoning and, maybe more time with his receivers. Maybe these receivers that he has now will stay a little longer than the guys that he had before. Uh, the the kid out of Western Michigan, Corey Davis, made an impression right off the bat. The very first catch of his career was this circus thing where he went up and snatched it with a couple of hands uh, away from the defenders. And uh, he, he showed something. He flashed as if he's going to be maybe something really special. And maybe there's a connection already between him and Mariota. So, certainly some bright spots for the Titans, uh, but just, just not quite good enough at the end of the day. That's what you're going to have happen when you have two teams that are both expected to do good things. You know, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. I would take a game like this all day long where I actually feel like I can take something away from it instead of a lot of these games where we're, like you said, right at the opening of the show, where you're left with more questions than answers because you've got a, a whole lot of teams that, you're going to be going here into our favorite week, week two, and going, wow, what, what was what I saw last week real? Um, was it what I described it as, which was the final tune-up game of the preseason for a lot of these teams, which is what it felt like? Um, you were seeing, no, this is what happens when you have these teams that, that they don't practice much or play, you know, they practice a lot, but they don't play much not getting actual game experience. A lot of these guys, some of these guys are held out for the entire preseason and boy, did it show. So yeah, we get to go into week two now trying to figure out what we learned from week one. You know, was it, was it real or was it fantasy? And that's the hardest thing there is about week two. And we do this every year. And again, Thursday night, these two teams, the Texans and Bengals played about as but ugly as you could on Sunday and they got to come back and play each other. What do you think the odds are that they play any better? I, uh, again, I love the under, if we're uh, talking about things to put your money on the point spread either way, I don't know if I touched that, but definitely the under go, go hard on the under. Cause I can't imagine either one of these teams scoring a lot of points. Yeah. And it could turn around and be completely the opposite of what we were expecting. And we could end up with a, you know, a 30-point game or output by one of these teams. I don't. The Bengals can't be as bad as they were week hmm. one. Oh my God! If I mean, if they are, <laughs> we, we could be seeing the end of the Marvin Lewis era a lot sooner than we're thinking. The uh, Sunday Nighter Cowboys uh, beating the Giants this year. Lost to them both times. Uh, last year, did you see anything specifically that the Cowboys did? correct or better or was this the Giants just missing uh, Odell Beckham so much yeah I think we if I could go back I would have had this as one of my contingency picks Ah. boy do the Giants really need Odell Beckham they need him bad that that offense was doing just nothing we know they can't run the ball they can't run the ball at all they that's been a problem for them just in general 
And then without Odell Beckham out there, they, they did less than nothing. It was it was bad, and but that's on Eli Manning uh, partially. Uh, he he's the veteran. He's been there. He's got the two rings. He should be able to adjust and make his team better, knowing that Odell is not out there, knowing that he can't get bailed out by Odell Beckham. But then again, this goes back to remember when I was saying that Eli looked like he was on the other side, like he was about ready to hang it up. This was a couple of years ago before they drafted Odell Beckham Jr. And all of a sudden he started looking good again. It's amazing what a guy that goes out and has a catch radius that Odell Beckham has. It's amazing what that does for your quarterback and not having him on the field. I think we saw Eli go back to being Eli, being inaccurate, uh, being hurried into bad decisions, uh, having to avoid sags. You know, he's not exactly uh, mobile. So that's going to take a lot out of him. Uh, it was very telling at the end of the game there, uh, towards the end of the game, where he avoided another sack so he could find his rookie tight end, Evan Ingram, for a big 30-yard gain. And you go, okay, that's something, something to build on. The very next play, Eli throws one right to Anthony Brown of the Cowboys uh, to pretty much wrap the game up. I was like, okay, well, that's you know, that's what you're going to get with Eli Manning when he doesn't have Odell Beckham. He's going to uh, scramble around and make a, a good play. And then he's going to come right back on the, ne- on the next play and make a really bad throw, trying to force it somewhere. Uh, to me, that's on Eli. He's got to be better than that. And he's just not. When he doesn't have Odell Beckham, he's just not better, unfortunately. No. And that's where I think the mistake lied in us assessing that game. That yeah. we were we didn't know. It was 50-50. Is he going to play or isn't he? That would have been, if we're going to run out of contingency pick, that's the moment that you do it. And how to give you, some credit how, to the How do you how do you pick the Giants if he's not there? It's gonna be very difficult uh, in the future. Uh but also to give a little credit to the Cowboys, uh Dak Prescott and uh Ezekiel Elliott doing what they do and the the pace of that offense is what kind of surprised me. They were very up tempo, almost no huddle for most of the game. It was a little scary. Uh, if, they've, if they've got that kind of timing down and, and Jason Garrett has that much confidence in them to run, they ran the Giants' defense into the ground. We talked about how much we like the Giants' defense. We both have them winning the uh, NFC East largely on the on the basis of that defense, and they got gassed. They got ran out and worn down by the Cowboys, uh, partially because of how fast uh, the pace was going there. Uh, they're trying to be a little too cute at one point. They had, uh, I don't know if you remember, early in the game where – they got uh, down at the three-yard line, and the crowd is chanting Zeke, 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 because they want Ezekiel Elliott to bowling ball his way in and get the, the first touchdown. And they went with three straight pass plays, uh, two incompletions to Des Bryant and another one where Dak threw it over everything. Uh, so that's being too cute. That's that's the old Jason Garrett trying to throw everything instead of uh, – being balanced and relying on the run game when you have an opportunity to run it when it's the when it's the uh, uh, the time to run it when it's that uh, situation you know down in distance you got to be smart about it if you you only got a few yards to get go give it to your sledgehammer running back so uh, but again with that up tempo offense if they've got that much confidence if they think they're in that much rhythm the Cowboys uh, can be pretty scary yeah there was a whole rash of that again and I have made my thoughts on this pretty clear on this show about how much I hate teams that get down to the one, two, three yard line and then start going shotgun snap 
trying to throw these little cutesy fades and, and little mm-hmm. back shoulder things instead of just manning up and asserting your physicality on the other team. This is why we see so many comebacks in the league because you have these teams who should be down there gutting it out, you know, sticking a knife through the heart of the other team, and they're trying to finesse them. And we see it happen now. Not to say it never works, but you see these teams, like you said, and they're starting to get – they're getting cutesy down there. And, boy, we see team, we saw a team do it in the Super Bowl and have the worst possible outcome. And I, this, this love affair with teams spreading everybody out and trying to get a one-on-one isolation play on a guy and then just keep doing it over and over it, at the one-yard line. Just line up. Yeah. And let your guy go in there, and, and maybe are we old fashioned? Are we just sounding old right now? Or because this looks like a problem, like, I hate it when I'm watching games, and I see that, and you see a team that gets down there and doesn't even try to once do something creative or run the ball. That just drives me nuts. Uh, get off far lawn, all you kids trying to throw the ball. We might sound old, but I, I, we're right. I mean, we're you know. Doing it the old-fashioned way sometimes is the way you're supposed to do it because that's the way that's always worked, and that's just the way it is. Right. You just line up and go after it, and just you know, if you can't get a yard, you probably don't deserve to win the game, anyways. I'm with you on that one. You're not going to get an argument from me. Did you see the least surprising item of the week? Noteworthy wise, I bet you I'm going to nail this, and we haven't talked about any of this. I bet you I know exactly what you're going to say. Your boy Kevin White's out for the season. How's that Kevin White draft pick looking? <laughs> Tell me how my Your ass taste. Yeah, I totally, I totally changed gears there, and you knew that was coming. Least surprising mm-hmm. news item of the week: Kevin White got injured. Stunning. Next week it'll be Sean Lee, and all will be right with the world. God, they can't stop talking about Sean Lee on Sunday Night Football. They got yeah. packages lined up for him. To, all he has to do is trip on his shoelace, and they got a package lined up to talk about Sean Lee. Oh, there's Sean yeah. Lee. He just tripped over himself. Let me tell you all about Sean Lee. Oh. Yeah, but I'm, I don't root for guys to get hurt, but I, I might be – I might not be too you upset if Sean Lee gets hurt. You, you I don't have to, have hear to about root him. for it. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kevin, uh, so the Bears wide receiver cord is non-existent. It was non-existent with him because he hasn't proven himself to be an NFL wide receiver. And at, at this point, it looks like he, he may never. Um, so I don't – they they tried. They really tried against the Falcons. They gave a great effort. They could have won the game. They had touchdown passes in the end zone, as we said. Uh, that they dropped and wound up not being able to uh, to get that last touchdown to win the game. So I don't know what to make of, of Chicago because I, I kind of said that they would compete on the strength of their defense and their and their running attack, and they competed and they lost and they wound up with a push uh, against the point spread. But teams like Chicago and and the Browns to me are the ones that are so hard to judge They're You know, they're going to be record wise, God awful. 
But at the same time, you know that they have fight and you know that they can compete in any game. They're just not going to win a lot of them or the vast majority of them. But it's still hard to predict which ones are going to actually spring up and and get the victory. They're not going to go winless. You know they're going to win some games. You just don't know exactly which ones they're going to win. Yeah. Speaking of the Browns, the Brown fever saved me uh, this week. So thanks, guys. They competed. They competed. They did the same thing last year. I mean, people want to want to bag on the Browns for how bad their record was last year, but through the midway point of last season, they were in a lot of games or leading a lot of games. They just pissed away a lot of opportunities to win ball games. And uh, in this one, they end up getting that late touchdown and two point conversion to give me a, a nice cheap cover. Yeah, I remember all those games that they competed last year. Wasn't Terrell Pryor like the quarterback for a couple of those? And somehow they were hanging around, and and they almost beat the Ravens, and it was it was crazy. The Dolphins. They almost beat the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the crazy one. They ended up uh, getting the ball back after Mm -hmm. you know they ended up getting the ball back on defense against uh, at Ty and Tannehill did something stupid. Ryan Tannehill is going to be himself. Does something stupid, gives them the ball back. They drive down the field and then miss the game-winning field goal. Just yak the field goal. Yeah. Uh, so there they are again competing. They acquitted themselves well against a top-tier opponent. Is there any doubt that Antonio Brown is the best receiver in football? My God. He's good. He, he, he's <laughs> he's pretty good. Oh my he's, goodness. He's okay. He's okay. He's in, the, the, he's in the conversation. Some of those catches are just incredible. And then if T.J. Watt is going to do this every week, um, you know, get sacks and turnovers, yeah. uh, propelling that Pittsburgh defense uh, even further, they need, they've been needing playmakers all these years. It looks like they're starting to get a bunch of playmakers. I was not high on T.J. Watt coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, I, I thought he'd be a little undersized for the NFL, but he made an impact against the Brownies. Maybe it's making Bryson Brooklyn look look like a genius right now. You know he was cackling throughout the whole game. <laughs> it's the Browns. It's the Browns. Hey, you you beat Same. whoever is in front of you. I know. That's but all you can do. We you know, Herm Edwards has something to say about playing these games. All you can do is play the games. And and why do you play the game? Hello? You play to win the game. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Just play the game that's in front of you. Play to win it and and beat whoever's in front of you. Maybe, you know, you get a game where you think you're going to face Andrew Luck and you wind up facing uh, Scott Tolzien and you just play the game. You just play whoever's there. That's That's all you can be asked to do. That'll, that'll work on a week-to-week basis, on a just-that-game <laughs> just basis. But in the big picture, there were some teams that got wins that I think we would both agree that were not necessarily of the highest quality. A win is a win. <laughs> That's true. And if, and if the Rams could play Scott Tolzien – and the Indianapolis Colts, every week, they'd go undefeated. Cam Newton and the Panthers weren't exactly world beaters, but 
a win is a win. They, they did not play that great at all. <laughs> Cam Newton is no. still continually trying to get himself hurt. That's exactly what I wrote down. He called his own number again, up 20 points, and he almost got jacked up. Uh, yeah. got up ended. Like, what are you – you know, this just it's what he does. He can't help himself. Uh, I don't know if that's the offensive coordinator – Calling that, that that calling that play, I get the feeling that's Cam himself saying, "Okay, guys, here's what we're gonna do. I know what they're trying to call in my helmet, but this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna give it to me, and I'm gonna bootleg around the left, and I'm gonna take it in and get all the glory. And then this is what I this is just what I do. And he didn't make it, and he got thrown six feet up in the air. And the way he came down uh, after he turns 30 years old, when he comes down like that, he's not getting up." Because uh, you can spring up, you know, when you're 20, 25, 26, 27, whatever age he is. Uh, when you, after 30, he's not getting up from that. So he's he needs to take that lesson. They're trying to teach him that lesson. It doesn't seem like he's learning that lesson. And he hasn't figured out. I mean, they've, they know they complained about it enough. So it must be a thing about these big quarterbacks, the Newtons, Roethlisberger, these, these big Sturdy quarterbacks are not getting the calls, and especially Newton, who is bigger than any of the guys that he's out there running against, is not getting these calls. Then put yourself in position to get hurt. That's just dumb. They keep trying to teach him. Yeah. I don't know he's why he's not learning. Too. I mean, we 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 don't talk about what they do to him, but he gets because he's not mobile. He's just no. a you know he's a sitting duck back there he's just a target practice for these guys but they go and he gets licks put on him because he absorbs the licks and he sometimes right. doesn't go down when he gets hit as hard as he you know if that's Aaron Rodgers getting hit as hard as, as Newton or Roethlisberger there's laundry all over the field on every play oh of course Tom Brady oh yeah yeah but these you know but Tom Tom Brady uh won't stand in there long enough to to generally take a massive hit. He's usually ducking or falling on the ground or <laughs> you don't really see Tom Brady getting lit up. I think it's going to happen though. If you mark my words, it's going to happen this year. He is smart enough to, uh, when he sees that there's no way he's going to get the ball he out, does. he does kind of tucks that ball away and, and turtles himself. He does. And you know, is that necessarily dumb? Uh, no, he just, He's oh. played most of his career fairly healthy. I mean, he missed that one full season, but other than that, he's been generally healthy, although he's been probable with a bad shoulder for his entire career. <laughs> On that injury report with a, with a shoulder, but he's probable. Yeah. He's probably going to play. Yeah. Tom, you going to play this week? <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, the one other note that I wanted to uh, point out is the always sort of lifeless or or the the team that we don't really talk about as serious contenders they're just always kind of there the lions uh our our guy china doll he he got a new toy this kenny galladay he got a new toy to play with and he made the most of it sure okay and there you have it (laughs) you know i i still don't buy the lions um and, and here's where I made my mistake in my assessment of the Lions when I said that the Lions are incapable of beating a team with a winning record. The Cardinals did not have a winning record last year. The Lions are still uh, bum slayers. This 
is true. They were seven, eight, and one. Yeah. So the Lions are still out there bum slaying. They're just being <laughs> the Lions. Uh, again, you only beat who you can, who you play. You only beat who's in front of you. But again, you know? that gets you. That can get you to the postseason. That generally doesn't get you to the Super Bowl, as the Lions found out. No. And that's no, why they're the Lions. When you bum slay your way into the playoffs, that's usually how you end up with that Saturday afternoon wild card game. That, yeah, um, that seems to be the, the Houston Texans' domain the last it couple of years. But yes. if they can't decide on a quarterback, they're not even going to get that far this year. <laughs> All right. I don't even know if it's. I don't even know if it's about deciding on a quarterback. I know you've got this love affair this year with the Texans and the narrative of and, and, and Harvey and Come on, Houston strong. Where are you at, oh. Houston? Where are you at? No, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not war. Don't save me. Oh. Yeah. Oh well. Do you, uh, you have anything else you wanted to get to? That was a pretty pathetic week. I mean, I, I was, I'm, I'm struggling for just a, a lot of good things to say. I mean, you know, the good things that I thought I saw, I'm not sure that I saw them because of the quality of the win. I'm not jumping all over the Rams yet. I'm not jumping all over the Jags yet. I mean, I, I was impressed by the defense. You know, I, I haven't even talked about the Ravens because look at they played Andy Dalton having one of those Andy Dalton games. You're just, it's just going to happen. The, Cle- the Cincinnati Bengals were living in Ravens territory. It seemed like every time you looked up, the Bengals were on a drive, and then Andy Dalton just <sighs> threw a pick or fumbled or, you know. I mean, was that – cannot Raven? turn the ball over twice oh. in the red zone like that. You oh. can't not in a twenty to nothing game. I mean, that w- w- it wasn't twenty to nothing when it happened. They were in that right. game, so <laughs> that's not going to happen every week. So th- there were so many things that happened. I just don't want to overreact to. I think that's the hard part of week one is like getting too high. I mean, yeah, we're, you know, oh, we're going to pat ourselves on the back for for this or that or feel good about a pick. We were sort of around five hundred. Our picks were meh, and the week was meh. You know, that that week one, eh. Well, will you agree with me on this? I was so excited before our uh, before we had our our preview show, our season preview show, yeah. because I knew that I wasn't picking the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and I knew I wasn't picking the Falcons to get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I told you all off season, and I told you before that show, this league this year to me is wide open. This can be anybody's league and anybody can win this thing. So would you agree with me that week one at least made it seem like this is going to be a wide open, anything can happen type of season? Yeah. The the favorites of what were the last few years, which would be your Patriots and and Packers, you know, those types of teams, Seahawks, Seahawks, all look deeply, deeply flawed. So yes, the the door is wide open. Now there are a handful, eight or ten teams that we know just you know, they're just not going to be there. 
is that you, you can take a good solid quarter of the league right off the bat and go, these guys are not going to be there for any kind of contention. But those other 24 teams, roughly, that are left over could all realistically have a shot at something. And yeah, I think we're going to get into week 12 or week 13 and we're going to be looking, you know, starting to actually watch those stand, watch the standings and watch what's shaping up, you know, with every week they're going to start to have the, you start to see that playoff picture forming and what teams need to do to get in and who's got who left on the schedule and how's this all lining up. I do believe that there are going to be some teams that are in that conversation. Um, that you just wouldn't expect maybe even teams right now that we don't expect just based on how bad the quality of play was in week one that you just, I don't just realistically think we're going to know for a few more weeks yet what we're getting from certain teams. And think about this with the Buccaneers not having even played week one with the Dolphins, not having even played week one you can claim even more variance and even more of a wildness to the season because you have both those teams in the playoffs and they still haven't even played and they're going to have to go through the old fashioned 16 games in a row that everyone used to go through back when we were young, because that's how old we are that we, we started watching football back before they ever invented the bye week Uh, 16 week schedule with no buys just everybody suited up every single week. And no yeah. Thursday night football either. Um, so yeah, this this is even more wide open when you consider you, when you add those two teams in. We didn't see those two teams play at all. So who really knows what's going to happen when they get mixed in? And, and I'm not even a big fan of the buy system as it currently exists. It worked out well for this game, but I don't think the right. postponements postponements were not the intent originally. I believe of the bye week. You know, you weren't you weren't planning for, you know, major devastation from a hurricane or, you know, like 9-11, which they canceled the whole weekend for. But any of that, you're not planning for things like that. That's not part of the conversation when the bye week came up. Now, obviously, I don't believe it was player safety. It was to extend the season another week and to get 17 weeks of ratings. You know, in another Monday night game, and you know, you got Thursday night. But I'd be happier if they just went to something simple where they just took half the league two weeks in a row, and you know, one half gets it off, and then the next week the other half gets it off, and then we can have the full slate the whole rest of the year instead of the these middle ten weeks or eight weeks. It seems like we're all we're getting our teams just not there. It never feels right. You're you're looking at the standings all jacked up for such a long period of time. Oh, this team's played this many games, and this team's, and we're going to get that right off the bat now with Tampa and Miami. Uh, although the Bears go to Tampa this week, the Bears could uh, find themselves uh, not having a good stretch of AFC South games, uh, NFC South games here right away, and uh, the Dolphins go play in the soccer stadium in LA. Oh, get to open the soccer stadium. Good for them. Yeah, they'll be doing the, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> Will they have the oh, Vuvuzelas out there? Or? Yeah. Well, might as well. Well, they have more They're than 25,000 yeah. people there. The Chargers are all going to come to the stadium in minivans. <laughs> and they have orange slices at halftime, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to all go to Dairy Queen for some ice cream after the game. It's so cute. 
but all the mothers are going to have to cover the, their son's ears once Philip Rivers gets mad at a call and starts cussing everybody out. <laughs> Philip, he's right, got such but, a dirty but mouth. on the positive side of that, after the game, everyone gets a trophy. Oh, you all played so well. You all deserve a trophy. Oh, well, no, it's the NFL. They all get a trophy wife, I think is how that works. Oh, well. Hey, hey! Sorry. It was sitting right there. I just had to go there. Yeah, it was. that was, <laughs> was a soft little wiffle ball right there for you. Yeah, that, that was right in there for me. Um, is uh, Saturday night good for you uh, this week? Don't see any reason why it won't be. Okay. So it looks like Saturday night at 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern for our picks for week two of the NFL as we try to avoid the overreaction theater that seems to always befell us. Oh, and real quick before you go, did you have any thoughts on the Cleveland Indians tonight winning their 20th straight game in a row? I have the thought that, uh, of course, it reminds me of those Oakland A's and Scott Hatterberg and Moneyball and all of that. So maybe there'll be a book and a movie down the road about this Cleveland Indian team. Well, uh, so is there a, a picture of uh, of a nude female owner of the team in the in the clubhouse and they're peel, saying, peeling off pieces of her suck. clothing? That's yeah. right, saying you suck with the little thought bubble coming out of it, yeah. So for the 20th win, they got to peel the, the big part of uh, the big piece in the middle right. off, uh, off the clothing there. They um, cannot sacrifice all I... live chickens during the game or before the game, so they're all eating KFC. <laughs> I'd say, fuck you, Joe Boo. i do it myself. Um, all I would say is the, the the Oakland A's had a hell of a streak when they won 20 in a row, and they didn't win the World Series. So don't <laughs> put too much into that. Congratulations, guys, but don't but think that really I mean, it, it is impressive. I mean, let's, let's, it's worth, it's worth, you know, we haven't talked about baseball now that we're back in football mode, but if there's anything in baseball that's happened that's noteworthy, it's that a team, when you think about how hard that is to go through your rotation four times and not lose a game, that's, that's impressive. They're really damn hot and they're really and damn good. At, and, and, and that's the reason I point that out is because if you're looking at their box scores, it's their starters primarily getting all the wins. And that's not a surprise for them because they have a, the rotation. They have the arms. They've had their arms yeah. talent for the last few years. We've, we've talked about that rotation uh, up and coming for, for a couple of years yeah. ago. Like, oh, this this has got the, the chance to be a thing with Kluber and Carrasco and all these guys. So we we kind of seen this coming, uh, but as but yeah, as the sports gods would have it, though they're going to go on this run and get swept in the first round. I, I'm calling <laughs> that, it now. I, that's why I say congratulations on the the streak. It doesn't really guarantee anything, but nice job out of you guys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the Thursday I'd night. Up, get a little baseball yeah. on our show. The Thursday night game of Texans and Bengals, one of these two teams is going to get untracked and, and find a way to, to get themselves righted, and the other team is just going to keep going right off the rails. Yeah.
job. Whichever one of these teams loses on Thursday night, uh, from this point through the rest of the season, before all of their home games, they will no longer play the Star Spangled Banner. They will play Taps. I don't think we can do any better than that. We're going to call it right there. Uh, he is Jay. I am Dre. This has been in much less detail the podcast. We will be back to do our picks for week two, Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, as we try not to overreact to everything that's happening and try to rebound off our sub-500 week. We will talk to you Saturday night, week two in the NFL.